Well, as you know, Pastor Andrew has been preaching about uh, the church's vision for the past several weeks, which is, and I hope you guys have this in your minds really clearly, that if I didn't say it, you'd know, transforming the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. And to bring the vision to pass, we've got these three L's, that God is calling us to learn about Christ, to live for Christ, and to lead others to Christ. Well, an important part of living for Christ is trusting God instead of leaning on your own understanding. And I know this is something Pastor Andrew preached, but it really resonated with me and it kind of led me to the place of, of uh, preaching what I'm preaching today. So I'm just gonna share again the definition of what it means to lean on our own understanding. It's using your own or others worldly knowledge, skills, experience, wealth, instincts, power, or feelings to make decisions, to understand situations or opportunities, to accomplish tasks and goals, and to live your life. And when Pastor Andrew was preaching this, it really resonated with me because I was trying to process a lot of different things and I knew that I really needed to hear from God. I really felt led to just remove some distractions from my life and just for a while and really focus some extra time on spending time in prayer, on reading God's word, and just really leaning in because I really needed to hear from the Holy Spirit. And I knew that I just needed kind of some extra space carved out to do that. And so during this time, I was reading the book of Hosea, which was in my Bible reading plan, but God really spoke to me. And just a lot of things started jumping out at me because there was all these examples of Israel leaning on their own understanding. They were trusting in their own ways. They were trusting in their own army, their own advisors, all these foreign alliances, instead of trusting in God. And I just felt like, also, I kept reading these verses that said, return to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit was just revealing ways that I had been leaning on my own understanding and that I really needed to return to the Lord. And so I just felt that today I need to bring that message to you. Come, let's return to the Lord. We need to examine where we've been leaning on our own understanding, on our abilities, on what the world tells us, on what makes sense to us. And we need to return to the Lord as our foundation, as our everything. And so I'm going to share a couple of passages, one from Hosea, one from Joel, to help us really learn what it means to return to the Lord. So let's start with Hosea 6, 1 to 6. I'm reading from the NASB. Come, let's return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we may live before him. So let's learn. Let's press on to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, as the spring rains water the earth. What shall I do with you, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud, and like the dew which goes away early. Therefore, I have cut them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and the judgments on you are like the light that shines. For I desire loyalty rather than sacrifice, and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. There's a lot here to unpack. So, and for us to really understand what God was saying to Judah and to Israel through the prophet Hosea and really what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. 
So let's start by asking the question, why do we need to return to the Lord? What's going on? What, what, what even makes it, has caused us to be away from the Lord? Well, just, I first want to give some context of the passage because, uh, you know, just so you kind of understand why Hosea was saying these things. Israel and Judah had turned away from the Lord. They were worshiping idols, all the idols of the people around them. And when they did this, they really kind of started to forget God's laws. And they were especially the ones that upheld justice. So they were kind of doing what everybody else did all around them. And so they were oppressing the poor and they were getting rich at the expense of the poor. And just to give you another little context note so that you understand why it talks about Israel and Judah, the kingdom of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms and they were called Israel and Judah. This happened when Solomon's son, who succeeded him as king, acted sinfully and he added to the already heavy taxation on the people. People had come and asked him, could you, you know, lighten the load? Could you make it a little more possible for us to live and and have what we need? Because there was actually really heavy taxation from King Solomon. And rather than listening to his advisors who said, yeah, if you do this, everybody's gonna be loyal to you. They're gonna follow you. And that was really God speaking through the advisors, but instead he said, no way, I'm going to make it even harder than it was. And he just listened to all his, and you know, he was a pretty young king, so he was listening to all his, like, his kind of, you could say schoolmates, everybody who was just his age and didn't have any experience leading. Um, And so there was a rebellion and the kingdom was divided. And so this led to all kinds of problems and all kinds of situations, but that's why you'll hear Hosea talking about Um, Israel and Judah, and actually he refers to Israel as Ephraim, which I will not get into the whole reason and story behind that, but just know that it means he's speaking to the kingdom of Israel. So let's start diving into the passage. Um, I'm going to go back to kind of individual verses throughout just to kind of jog our memories of what we're talking about specifically. So let's go back to Hosea 6.4. What shall I do with you, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. This is why they needed to return to the Lord. Because God says that both kingdoms, their loyalty was just like a mist, like a cloud that comes in the morning and then it's gone. It's just like, you know, we have this the morning dew, but it's only there in the morning and then it, it goes away. Their love for God was fleeting and they were constantly unfaithful. They were unfaithful when they prospered, and they were unfaithful when they faced challenges. It didn't really matter what was happening. They were still unfaithful. And even though they were worshiping idols, they were acting unjustly, they still came and made their regular sacrifices to God, just as if they were obeying him, as if nothing was wrong. It's like they expected him to keep his side of the covenant promise, to bless them, to help them, while they broke their part of the covenant promise by constantly sinning. Does this sound like any of us? How many of us come to church? Maybe we serve or we give some offerings. But when it comes to the major decisions in our lives and the way we live day to day, do we really obey God? Do we trust him with every part of our lives? Or do we lean on our own understanding? Do we think that we know what's best because what God is asking us to do just doesn't really make sense. And I want to help all of you understand really what, how God views what Israel was doing and how he views it when 
we make decisions according to what the world says is most prudent, according to what makes us and other people comfortable. And when we maybe excuse our sin, maybe we kind of just act like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. So we need to go back and talk about the beginning of the book of Hosea. Because around the time that God was starting to give Hosea prophetic messages, God told him to marry a woman named Gomer, who, as the NASB puts it, was inclined to infidelity. And during their marriage, she left him and went back to her life of infidelity. And God told Hosea to bring her back. God told Hosea to do all these things, which I know don't make any sense. I mean, who in their right mind would go marry someone that you already know is probably not the most ideal marriage partner? But God told him to do all these things because it was a sign to God's people that they were being unfaithful, that they were acting and committing adultery. So when we continually lean on our own understanding, when, again, as I've said, we do what the world tells us is wise, and we go back to the same sin patterns over and over, does God view us the same way? It's not that God is putting us down or calling us names. It's because he loves us fiercely. And when we're not loyal to him, he feels that we've cheated on him. Well, just like Hosea went back to get his wife after she left him, God pursues his people when they stray away from him. So let's talk about what God does to get our attention. Hosea 6.1 says, Come, let's return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. God doesn't delight in the pain that his children suffer, but he'd rather have us suffer temporarily and turn back to him than have us suffer eternally because we're separated from him, because we haven't come to him or we haven't realized that we've turned away. If you read the Old Testament, if you kind of read through it the whole way through, you might notice a cycle that Israel, kind of the cycle of how they turn away from God. So usually they turn away, then God uses enemy nations to oppress them, they cry out to God for help, and then God delivers them. And this happened over and over again. And the most extreme examples were when God allowed Israel and Judah to be destroyed and taken into exile by Assyria and Babylon. Sometimes God allows us to suffer because he wants us to return to him. And sometimes the suffering comes as a result of our own poor choices. Just to keep going with this this theme and to understand more of what God does to get our attention, let's look at Hosea 6.5. Therefore, I have cut them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that shines. So in this verse, God is not saying that the prophets committed physical acts of violence against the people of Israel. Not at all. But what he is saying is that through the words that God was giving these prophets to speak, he was pronouncing Israel guilty because they were breaking the covenant promise. And so he's judging them according to what he alone says is right and wrong. And the judgments they faced, again, were consequences of their sins, but the judgments were inevitable. Uh, One commentator said that God's judgments are all-encompassing, just like the light from the sun that comes every day, and it exposes what's hidden. 
So what has God used in your life to get your attention? Is there anything that maybe you didn't realize might have been something God was doing? You might have thought, oh, why do I have to go through this? Or this is so horrible. But maybe God wanted to get your attention. Is it possible that maybe some of what you've experienced when, it's, when you've suffered was really God showing mercy? He was giving you a chance to return to him instead of just leaving you alone, letting you just continue on down this path that, that wasn't good for you. In other words, did God save you from yourself and from your sin? There's a story in the book Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend of a couple coming into a psychologist and they ask him to fix their 25-year-old son. And I think one of the, the psychologists is actually one of the authors. I think this really happened. Um, but their son had never finished college. He couldn't really get started in a career. And actually, he'd started using drugs recently. And But the son didn't really think there was any problem with kind of the path he was on. And the parents just couldn't understand why their son wasn't more motivated to succeed and to really go after, you know, a dream or go after something because they'd supported him. They'd given him everything he needed. He'd never, you know, lacked the ability to go to school or to have, you know, opportunities. But actually what this translates to is they would bail him out every time that he might get kicked out of school because he was not showing up or he was failing out. They'd bail him out when he'd get, he'd lose a job. And, and usually, you know, due to his own poor choices, not just because maybe it was hard or there was some other problem, it's because he wouldn't show up or he'd come in high or something like that. So basically what was happening is, you know, the son didn't even, he didn't have to suffer. Whenever something hard or bad would happen, he would just think, hmm, life is great. The psychologist said it's kind of like the parents were watering their own lawn but the water, instead of going on their lawn, it would go over to his lawn. So their lawn was getting brown, it was dying, it was awful, and his was this beautiful, lovely green. So he'd just look at it and think, yeah, my life is so great. He had zero clue of how much you know, problem and pain he was causing. So the psychologist said they needed to start setting some boundaries if they really wanted him to see that, oh, there is a problem, because right now, they had a problem. He didn't have a problem. Life was good. And so if, if they started, st if they stopped bailing him out, if they set some boundaries, then he would see, oh, wow, this is really bad. Maybe, maybe I need to make some changes. And really, it's the same for us. Something similar happens in the lives of Christians, because if we don't suffer the consequences of our sin, most of the time, we probably won't turn back to God. I mean, it's easy to say, like, oh, no, I would. I love God so much. Of course I would turn back to God. But really? I mean, if we're really honest about just our human nature, about our own weakness, probably we won't. And so we need God to get our attention so that we turn back to him. Once God gets our attention and we understand what he wants us to turn away from, we need to understand what we're turning to. So this raises the question, what does God want for us and from us? And now we're going to look at Hosea 6, 2-3. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let's learn. Let's press on to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain. 
as the spring rain waters the earth. After God gets our attention, maybe through suffering, maybe through something else, he will revive and renew his people. He won't forget them. God will have mercy. He'll restore. This is what God wanted for Israel, and what, it's what he wants for us. God wants us to live in his presence. He wants us to seek him in prayer, in worship, through his word, through fellowship with other believers, those who will challenge us and encourage us in our faith. It also says he wants us to press on to know him. He wants us to put in effort to get to know him better. And I don't know what this might mean for you. Honestly, you might already be really doing all you can to kind of press on to know him. You might already be on that path. But if you get a sense that maybe, maybe there's a little more you could do, maybe there's more that God wants you to do, it could mean that if you're reading short daily devotionals, it's time to start reading through whole books of the Bible. Or if you're reading through books of the Bible, maybe it's time to study God's word more deeply. It could be with a group, it could be by yourself. Of course, you can always ask Pastor Andrew or me or others if you have questions about, well, how do I do that? Maybe it means joining the prayer ministry meetings and growing in your prayer life. Maybe looking for a person or a group to disciple you and hold you accountable. It could mean serving or seeking growth in another area because God knows what each of us need. I don't know, but God does. So what would it look like for you to press on to know the Lord? And another thing God wants for us and from us is he wants us to rely on him. Verse 3 tells us that God is knowable and he's reliable, just like the sun that rises every day. It's such a great picture. I mean, does the sun ever not rise? Does God ever not help and show up? Is he ever not with you? He always is. And just like the rain, I know that here in California, the rain isn't always quite as, as steady and regular, but nonetheless, um, many people, let's say maybe in Washington, <laughs> we could say that God's love is, and God's you know, consistency and reliability is like the rain that, that falls there. Uh, Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desire loyalty rather than sacrifice, and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. One commentator said this could be rephrased as, I desire devotion and not hymn singing, service and not sermons. He wants us to realize that worshiping him, calling ourselves Christians, is about so much more than going to church on Sunday. I mean, coming to church is so important, and I am so glad everybody's here. I'm glad everybody's watching online who's doing that. But God wants our whole hearts. He wants a daily, moment-by-moment -moment relationship with him. And he wants us to live lives of integrity and love for our neighbors. He wants what we do and what we learn here on Sundays to affect and change how we live the rest of our lives. So now we know that God want, what God wants for us, but how do we get there? How, this is the next big point. How do we return to the Lord? First, let's go back to that phrase in, in our passage, Hosea 6, 1a. Come, let's return to the Lord. The verse says, let's return, or let us return. 
So it means we need to return to the Lord as a community, as a church community, just like the nation of Israel needed to return as a nation, as a group. So do we. But for this to happen, we need to repent and return to the Lord individually because a lot of times we won't really be able to see the sin of the community if we don't see our own sin. So it probably generally will go in that order, but God can convict any way he wants to. This challenge goes out to every church, to the big C church, the body of Christ worldwide. Every church is made up of sinful human beings. We all fall short, and many times we fall short together. So I want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal how we as a church have sinned, how we as Peninsula Hope have turned to our own ways. What do we need to repent of corporately? And now to come back to, well, this could be individual and corporate repentance. Let's look to the book of Joel, another Old Testament prophet, to really help us understand even more. What does it mean? How do we do? How do we return to the Lord? So Joel 2, 12 to 14 in the NASB says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and tear your heart and not merely your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and relenting of catastrophe. Who knows? He might turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, resulting in a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. We need to return to the Lord with our whole heart. It means owning our sins and not letting pride or insecurity keep us from repenting. In our pride, it's really easy to say, well, I'm a good person. I mean, I'm not killing anybody. How can I be living in sin or how can I be sinful? And in insecurity, we can be afraid to own our sin because it makes us feel really bad. It makes us feel like, well, maybe I'm worthless. Maybe there's nothing valuable about me. And I've been in both camps. And what I'm learning is that I am completely sinful apart from God. I can't bring anything to the table on my own, but I don't have to. My new identity after following Jesus is that I'm a child of God, and that makes me valuable. That makes me important to God. What he says about me is way more important than what others say or think about me. And that's a hard one to really believe and live out. I am absolutely still on that journey. I haven't arrived. I have a lot more to learn. It's a really important journey. And so I hope that all of us are at some place in this journey of learning how to own our sins and learning to trust God with however it makes us feel or, how, or however hard it may be to really look at and accept the sins that we have committed or the way that we've been living Returning to the Lord, as we saw in the passage in Joel, it means experiencing sorrow over our sins, over the fact that we've offended God, the creator of the universe. Some people may actually weep or cry. There's been times where I've 
been really kind of overcome with, wow, God, how did I, how could I do that to you? We may mourn and have a strong feeling of remorse. I hope we do, actually, whether or not we cry. I hope we have that strong feeling of remorse. Honestly, you might need to fast. It might help to remove some distractions or something that kind of gets in the way of you really focusing, listening to listening to God's voice and that maybe gets in the way of understanding what may be getting in the way and what may be separating us from God. In, in Joel, it also talks about the visible act of repentance. I don't think we do this so much, but back in times of the Bible, they'd literally tear their clothes. And so, but God, you know, wanted them to, to grieve over their sin. He wanted their repentance, but he didn't want it to just be, okay, I tore my clothes, I'm good. Yeah, I'm repenting. He wanted their hearts to be changed. And that's why he says, tear your heart and not your clothes, not your garments, because God cares way more about if your heart has changed. And this is the part that just, yeah, just I love, and it, it kind of gives me hope in all this. When we repent, when we return to God, he wants us to come in faith and not despair because he wants us to remember who he is, his character. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He abounds in mercy, and he relents from sending catastrophe, from sending the suffering that we may have kind of, that we deserve. He's a God of second chances. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't just say, oh, you messed up this time. You've turned away. I mean, how many times did Israel have to go through this cycle? And yes, they experienced some really big consequences at the end of the Old Testament, but I love that God didn't just give up and kind of say, okay, forget it. I'll just start over. And it's the same with us. God is so compassionate. He's so merciful. He's so gracious. And just to yeah, talk a little bit more about this section, um, to talk about verse 14, one commentator explained that even though uh, God has already pronounced judgment and the consequences of our sin, they might be in motion already. But God is free to have mercy on who he desires to have mercy. He doesn't have to do, send the judgment that he planned. I mean, we see that in different places in the Bible. God may relent from the consequences he was planning to send. I mean, God is, is so free, right? He doesn't have to just because he's on this track. It doesn't mean he has to always follow through with it. If he doesn't believe, if he sees our hearts and he sees, hey, they've turned back. I think they, they got it. And this gives me hope because repentance can be followed by restoration. And just to kind of give you some context of, of where, what it's talking about in the verse, for Israel, they were hoping that they'd become prosperous again agriculturally so they'd have grain offerings, they'd have drink offerings, they'd have what they needed to be able to bring the offerings to God. And just as I think about this idea of returning to God with our whole hearts and making a genuine heart change, rather than giving God a bunch of lip service, it really made me think of how sometimes we sidestep apologies. We say, I'm sorry if I did something to offend you. I'm sorry that your feelings were hurt. I'm sorry that you feel that way. Or so-and-so told me to apologize. These are just a few of the examples of non-apology apologies. I mean, if a friend or a loved one apologizes in this way, 
how does it leave you feeling? Does it feel like they really mean it? Like they actually realize, wow, I did something wrong. We wouldn't want anyone to treat us that way. So why do we treat God that way? Why don't we always return to him with our whole hearts? Today, I encourage you to search your heart and ask the Lord, in what ways is my devotion to you fleeting? Which parts of my life am I holding back from you, God? What do I need to repent of? In what areas do I need to return to you, Lord? Would you help me let go of the fear of what the Holy Spirit will find if I let you in to examine my heart? Sometimes that holds us back. And after the Holy Spirit has convicted you and given you clarity, go ahead and repent. Make changes. Stop living for yourself. Stop relying on your own understanding. Remember, God is gracious and compassionate. He's a God of second chances. Who knows? He may relent and bring restoration where you've been broken and where you've been suffering. Uh, right now, Matt and Michael are going to come up and get ready to play our final song. The song they're going to play, is called, it says, Come, Let Us Return to the Lord. It's a song of repentance and, and return. And it's not one we've sung here before, but the goal today isn't as much to sing along and get every word as it is to just take time to reflect and pray and repent. If you want to kneel down, if you want to just stay seated, feel free. If you want to stand up, of course, go ahead. But however you do it, whether you're here in person or you're watching online, take this time to return to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, you are gracious and loving. We know that your ways are so much better and so much higher than ours. God, we know that you love us and you have amazing plans for us, God. And if we return to you, if we submit and say, yes, God, I want to do your will and do it your way, we're not going to be sorry. Lord, I know the world may be telling us, that's crazy. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. But God, we don't have to understand you or what you're saying in order to trust you. God, you're faithful. And so I pray for each of us today that you'd help us to return to you, God, to be open and willing and ready to listen to what you want to tell us and how you are calling us back to you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Return to the Lord in 
brokenness of heart we consecrate our lives singing come come let us return to the lord with the rending of a heart with the bowing of a knee lord we are returning With a prayer and with a fast, with the song in minor key, Lord, we are repenting. Even now, even now, with all of our hearts, for you may turn, you may leave a blessing behind. Oh, come, come, let us return to the Come, come, let us return to the Lord. In brokenness of heart, we consecrate our lives singing. Come, come, let us return to the Lord. With the rending of a heart, with the bowing of a knee, Lord, we are returning with a prayer and with a fast, with a song in minor key. Lord, we are repenting. Oh, even now, even now, with all of our hearts, for you may turn, you may leave a blessing behind come come let us return to the lord come come let us return to the lord in a brokenness of heart we consecrate our lives singing come come let us return to the lord in your mercy you will come in your mercy you will come surely as the rising sun surely as the rising sun in your mercy you will come in your mercy you will come surely as the rising sun surely as the rising sun oh come come let us return to the lord come Come, let us return to the Lord. In brokenness of heart, we consecrate our lives singing. Come, oh, come, let us return to the Lord. Oh, come, come, let us return to the Lord. Come, come, let us return to the Lord. In brokenness of heart, 
We consecrate our lives singing, come, oh come let us return to the Lord. Let us return to the Lord.